What's up everyone? Welcome to the Deer Vane Whitetail Series and this is the beginning of the end. This is the start of the late season segment. We got 8, 9, 10 episodes coming out on the late season. If you're like me, you didn't kill in the pre-rut or the rut or the early season. Now we're on the late season and it can be a real grind, but at the same time, deer are still plentiful. Um, they're still active in daylight hours and it's arguably one of the best times to kill a mature deer just because there's so much scarcity around. So... Um, it should be, I've already had recorded a couple of these podcasts and they've been awesome, really helpful, very useful for me personally, and I hope they are for you as well. As always, this podcast has been sponsored by Onyx and Arrow Hunter Saddles. I really appreciate their support. So if you guys could show them some support, that would mean a lot to me. Um, Arrow Hunter Saddles, it's a tree saddle. Um, saddle hunting is a real, getting real popular right now. I use that saddle probably 50, 60% of the time. Um, I'm out when I'm out trying to be mobile, um, it's just so much easier than carrying a stand and sticks. It, it really is. I just put up four sticks and then I stand on the top stick and I'm ready to rock. Um, and you can pretty much get into a lot of different trees and it's just, it's a, it's a good system. If you're trying to be mobile and especially late season, you may need to be mobile because food sources will change. Bedding areas will change and you got it. You have to hunt the hot sign in late season. Um, cause it's, likely the only sign that you're going to find. So being mobile um, is very, very big in the late season. And uh, if you're ever looking into those saddles, look at Arrow Hunter saddles. As far as Onyx goes, you know, they're the GPS mapping app, show private public land boundaries. Uh, they give you waypoints, topo maps, hybrid maps, satellite maps. Um, you can track your distances, all sorts of things. I even use it for running when I go for runs. I'll just track where I go and it'll give me times and distance and all that stuff. So please go check out Onyx Maps and Arrow Hunter Saddles if you guys are in the market for either of those uh, categories. All right, let's get into it. Yeah, so that was that was Groot. That was that big, non-typical. Um, this year, though, so for gun season, um, we had my dad invited a friend up and that friend invited a friend, a new hunter. So I was yeah. like, oh, that's cool. You know, it's a new hunter, like, you know, we'll just put him in a spot and hopefully he can whack a doe or something. And he rolls in and he's like, yeah, man, I got into guns three years ago and I just spent $20,000 and now I have all these guns. And uh, I looked at your topo maps. You should probably have stands set up here and here. Right. And I was kind of like, what? And, <laughs> and he was like, <laughs> he was like, yeah, man, I, I looked at all the topos. I was like, have you hunted before? He's like, no, this is my first season. I'm like, all right, well then I'm going to tell you where to go. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, he's kind of just one of those guys that, that dove in, Yeah. you know? And, um, so anyway, we kind of, I said, um, I met him for a brief second and then I was heading out and I told my dad, I was like, Hey, just send him, you know, down this trail since he hasn't hunted before. Like, let's just put him in a real open area where it's likely he'll see deer who knows if yeah. he'll shoot or anything. So I said, just have him drive the four-wheeler all the way to this like dead end trail park yeah. it and then walk back like 50 80 yards and you're looking at this big kind of valley bottom right like, just have them do that and 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 don't we call it like the pizza slice it's like this triangular piece that i was just telling you about where um it's like 80 yards wide and it's real thick and we like deer bed in there guaranteed like sunday sunday morning of gun season i saw nine come out of there including a good buck run Boy. into a field, a wide open, it was picked and it was, um, bailed like cornfield. Yeah. And then 30 minutes later, they came running back and, and sat in that little pie slice P 
pizza slice and my uncle was right below it and he never saw a single deer and I saw 11 and I was, or nine and and I think I saw two more come across later and go into that little patch and my uncle was watching it like I said and, and he never saw so anything but hide yeah yeah so I'm like just leave them in there and just hunt the outskirts of that and wait for them to come out like don't go if you go push that there's only one way to push it and that's up into that wide open field right, right. to the neighbors right right and so I was like, just don't, don't push that. Just sit in the bottom and, and everything. So my dad told this guy, he's like, Hey, yeah. Um, yeah. We'll just send you on the four wheeler. I'll show you where to go. And then just sit there and, and watch this Valley. Well, I checked my trail cameras this last uh, on Saturday, two days ago. And um, he was up in that pie slice two days in a row. Um, and one time with the cutters and I was like, like a big vine cutter. And I was, <laughs> I was just kind of like, shit like that was kind of like my my late season or, or that was yeah. my plan right was like leave that and just let them sit there and let them sit there and then like you know i'll still have decent hunting after gun season because they'll all be kind of in there or at right. least they'll have this opportunity to be in there so he uh so i asked my dad i was like hey did you tell him like not to go in there he's like well i didn't tell him not to go in there i just told him to not or to just sit there at the bottom you know yeah and I was like, okay, because I, I know we talked about driving that piece to get him a deer, but you said you didn't drive it at all. And he was like, yeah, no, we didn't drive it. And I was like, well, he was in there a couple of times. And he goes, really? I was like, yeah. And he had a cutters with him one time. He goes, ah, he goes, ah, shit. He, he told me that he wanted to trim some trees because he couldn't see very far. And, uh, and so I told him to take the cutters. I didn't realize where he was going. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I haven't even been in there, but I'm just hoping to God he didn't like, you know, cut like some seven foot lane through all this prickly ash. Like, oh, nuts. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm just kind of like, oh, man, is that cornfield? Is that you said it's picked? Is it chisel plowed? No, no. Okay. So it's picked and bailed. So there is still the farmer's really nice. Um, He gave us access to come in from that side. Yeah. But he uh so when I walked in from that side for one hunt um, earlier this year, there was still corn on the ground out right. there, but it is just like wide open. And it's like a 400 acre field. So yeah, the odds of the, like, I've never really ever seen them right like out there feeding in it. If I ever see them up there, it's generally right along the borders, right you now, right along that wood edge. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Unless it's not hunting season when it's turkey season, they're out in there. I see them in the spring, Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is about. Um, I struggle with this with some of my, with some of my buddies, um, you know, they'll go into a tree stand or something in one of mine and they'll, they'll just initially, they, they just know they need to cut some shooting lanes and even cover around the blind. And it just drives me nuts, but I know it drives them nuts not to be able to, you know, see very far, but you know, to me, getting into that thick stuff, right, and only having one or two shooting lanes is is somewhat worth it. You know, from uh, from a camouflage and everything else. So, yeah, yeah, I know I know that feeling when guys go in there with with cutters and <laughs> just trim out yeah. those lanes. Oh. Yeah, 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 man. I'm I'm kind of nervous to go in there just because I have no I have no idea where he sat. I have no idea what lanes he trimmed, how much he trimmed. Cause that area is like a, it's a decent bedding area. And it's actually like, I I'm toying with my head is getting rid of it and like clear cutting it so that it pushes the deer out of there because they're bedding 20 yards off the field edge. 
right in that thick stuff. So it's a, it's a really tough spot to hunt. So if I can push them out of there um, and force them to be a little more, bit more, cause they don't need to go far to get to food. Right. They can stand up, right. They can stand up when it's dark, you know, they can stand up five minutes before dark and, and be in the field in, you know, whatever, five minutes. Right. Um, so I don't know if how I feel about that bedding cover being so close and they'd have so little distance to travel to get to it. Right. Um, so one of my thoughts is I, I have a buddy coming out. His name's Matt Spetz. He's been on the podcast a couple of times and he does yeah. um, like habitat improvement for whitetail hunters. Okay. Um, so he was, he was like, yeah, dude, I'll come take a look at that with you this spring and we can hammer out some details and whatnot. Sure. So maybe who knows? We'll talk about it, but yeah. Well, you know me, I like food. So how close could you get your own food to it? To that bedding area? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's up on top of a little ridge, so you can't plant really below it. Okay. So, but if I cleared it, I could plant it. That's right. the other thing. So then they would have like a clover plot before they get to the field. You know what I mean? That's still yeah. in the cover. Right. And that would be like my quote unquote ideal scenario is they come out of the bottom where it's pretty thick. A tornado came through like seven, eight years ago. So it's all per- fairly new growth down in this bottom. Yeah. They have about, I don't know, 80 to hundred yards to get to this little, the top of this little ridge. And then once they get up on it, they're in this like clover patch and I could hunt that really well with a South wind. Right. Um, so that would be like the ideal scenario, but deer don't read scripts. Right. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how they'd actually use it. Um, it's uh yeah, it's a toy that it's a idea that I'm really pinging around in my brain. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It reminds me, we have a um, chunk of land in Northern Wisconsin and we had a pretty similar scenario. We, um, it's half swamp, half high ground. And it was hard to get the deer out of the swamp during daylight hours. And so my brother-in-law and I went down in there and we just blazed a trail and we got into some little bit of high ground in there and did some soil samples and put in about an eighth of an acre of, uh, probably even less than that of clover. And it was crazy from a you know, staging area to hit that clover plot before they went up into the top. So we had some larger fields. Um, so you might want to consider that. that. Yeah, no, I have to, I'll have to show you the map after we're done here. Um, sure. and take a look at it quick. I'm, I'm a hundred percent open to anybody's advice because land management and like, and habitat improvement is not my forte. <laughs> so, and the other thing that I'm always afraid of is like, okay, I have this like quote unquote, virgin piece of ground. I don't want to yep. do this work to go, wow, I did this totally wrong. Right. <laughs> you no, know, I need to not have a food plot here because now all the deer are hitting it only at night. Right. Or, or I can't hunt it because the winds are terrible in this spot. So yeah, they're all coming here, but I have no way to hunt it. Yeah, you're exactly right. There's, there's way more to it than just putting food and, and shooting a big deer for sure, which right. I found that out the hard way so many times, but <laughs> yeah, how else are you going to figure it out? So, right. And I did that like on a, on a very micro scale this year, I, uh, we have a power line cut that runs through the property and it's about 30 yards wide, 30. Yeah. yeah. I remember talking to you about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so on one end of it, um, like the very end of the power line cut on our property, it's actually like goes up this big boulder face. So it's a real good right. pinpoint. Like it, like the boulder face is there. The deer either try travel above it or below it. Okay. So I put this little food plot below it 
thinking that they would kind of come out of the bottom, hit that little plot, and then they got another hundred yards going up to the big fields, right? Which is exactly right. what I was hoping. The wind in there just swirls straight up. Like I've been in there three or four times, and every evening, south wind, north wind, west wind, east wind, it just whips around in there. There's like no real good way to hunt it. So I'm like, well, I guess I'm not going to plant this year. Next year, I'm not going to plant that next year just because like there's no. I can't kill anything in it. Right. <laughs> um, and the neighbor, the neighbor sat it for gun season. It's like, it borders my property and his property. So right. I was like, Hey, do you care if I do this? And he's like, no, do you care if I sit it? And I was like, no, it's fine. Cause it's on both of our properties, but it's this good area. It's just, I yeah. thought it was a good spot for it just in terms of topography. It's terrible for the wind, but, um, and so he sat it three times for gun season and never saw a deer, including opening night. And we both have cameras on it and we both get deer on it all the time. Um, it's just not, not really, yeah. not very huntable. <laughs> um, yeah. Wind and access to me is like, that's probably the two biggest things I've ever learned with, with planting food. You know, you, you don't realize that until one good bump at night, you know, on a mature deer and he's, he's nocturnal, at least in my experience, you know, and, and same with wind. You're exactly right. Like I got a couple of spots that I, it's like TV show worthy. Like it's so cool the way it looks and how close it's to bedding, but like it swirls almost every time, you know? So it's just brutal, but yeah. Yeah. Oh man. So then, well, actually that's a great, that's a great way to introduce you. Why don't you, I haven't told anybody who you are yet or anything like that. <laughs> so Nick, why don't you throw out your your uh what i don't want to say credentials because that sounds like uh like i'm like like teeing you up i'm just gonna yeah. say like maybe maybe your background how about that <laughs> yeah i guess um from a you know I've, I've worked um i've worked in the outdoor industry for for a, in a couple of different roles uh, over the years um i would say that's kind of on that side of it um uh, but i guess i'm just kind of the the average hunter um in college, I, I took it kind of to an extreme where I would, I would do quite a bit of traveling. So um, typically travel out West every year, um, hunt Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa. I was doing that for a long time. I live in Wisconsin, um, but I would say the extreme part of my hunting is, is around food. And so I would plant food plots in four or five different states, um, got connected with guys like Jeff Sturgis and John Kemp and, um, really uh diving into that i think i probably enjoy that aspect to to hunting more so than actually shooting a big deer um it's just become quite the passion and i know you and i have talked about it quite a bit and i uh i help quite a few different guys out with with food plots and um yeah that's really where i where i enjoy to spend most of my time yeah and nick's being a little modest he's worked in the outdoor industry for a while um he's not anymore he's in what do you sell drugs now yeah, basically in pharmacy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right. But yeah, Nick's been, it's Nick Swanson, everybody. And he, uh, yeah, he's been in the outdoor industry, worked with a lot of big names. Like you mentioned, Jeff Sturgis, and there's a few others in there. Um, and just, I mean, if you're looking at his background, he's got some real nice bucks back there. <laughs> if you're seeing the video of this, <laughs> I didn't know how to position it, but yeah, I figured yeah. this would be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, I got, I, I, I actually like what I thought I would do is uh, I'll probably like snip your background and I'll put it as my background for the Zoom meetings <laughs> that way. <laughs> no, nah, I'm kidding. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. um, so, 
so yeah, Nick's, Nick's been around <clears throat> the block for a long time. And, um, what we wanted to cover today was a little bit of habitat management type things. And then also, um, late season, like how, how you can do better for late season. Cause Nick, you were saying when we were texting earlier, you said you were, you passed a couple nice ones for hopes of hopes of a late season buck. And that's like yep. something a lot of people don't do. They're not like, Oh man, I want to hunt that late season. Let's let these go. <laughs> right. So why no, you're yeah. exactly right. Yeah. I think that's the, um, that's the thought around it. Now, now I'm in a little bit of unique position uh, living in Western Wisconsin where we have until January 31st to, to bow hunt. Um, and so it's, it's a little bit better that changed uh, last year. And so now we have a, it used to go to like the, the 6th of January. So now we have that extra time. And, um, you know, we found that a lot of our older bucks they'll hold until that middle of February timeframe. We have a couple that dropped early last year, but for the most part, um, it's kind of like hunting deer come end of September, early October for us here, once you get into that late December, January timeframe. And so, like I mentioned, it's just planting a lot of food, getting close to bedding and then just being smart. And so this year was a little bit unique where we put in a tremendous amount of work, um, on some food and yeah, like, like you mentioned, there was a couple of really nice deer that, that were up and comers. And then a couple of, there's two six and a half year olds that we had on the farm, um, that I was able to get some buddies on. Um, but was able, right? what's that? One of them connected, right? Yeah, they both did actually. Okay. Um, on their first sits, which was extremely, uh, I don't know how you call it anything other than lucky. Um, <laughs> but, uh, we we brought in the uh, the Cuddy Link system. Have you tried the Cuddy Link system? I haven't. Um, I've heard decent things about it. It yeah. Anyway, yeah, I'll I'll get to that. But yeah, yeah. basically, in regards to um, you know passing up these younger deer early, I just wanted to see what the farm would turn into late season. You know, unless you have a tag in your pocket, you don't really hunt it as hard as you, you probably would, right? So right. this year. Um, and I'll say this not to not to brag or anything, and maybe this is small deer to some people, but to us, these are big deer. There's a, a four and a half year old, probably in the mid to high 140s that was pretty regular in, in some of the plots and um, just really want to see what he turns into at five, which again is is absurd to even say out loud. If, you, <laughs> if I would have said that like five years ago, I would have punched myself. But um, again, it's turning more into just growing these deer up, figuring out where they're bedding, figure out how they, you know, they operate, where they eat you know, how they work through the seasons and then uh, try to kill them in their prime, which doesn't always work. The neighbor shot a 173 inch giant, like right on the fence line this year, which was just devastating, but um, it's part of the game, you know? Did, so yeah. Long, did he find that deer? He did. Yeah. Okay, it, gotcha. it, it was brutal. He, this deer was spending uh, the night before he killed it. The deer was spending like three to four hours um, in a 24 hour time frame in, uh, in a little kill plot. So this plot is like a clover chicory blend. Um, it's got, it's got water in it. It's got a couple of mock scrapes in it. It's not very big at all. Like maybe an eighth of an acre tops. Um, and there's one way to access in and out. And I had them coming into that plot quite a bit. And, um, my wife and I decided to go get dinner the night that the, this deer came in during daylight hours. He actually had come in a couple of times during daylight hours, but long story short, the neighbor uh, at his work, they had a COVID scare. So he had to be sent home and got home, went out and sat in his tree stand, killed the deer at 10 a.m. right on the fence line. 
and there's a mainframe clean 10 173 inches just holy giant unbelievable deer that is a yeah. giant buck holy cow yeah so yeah. with yeah. no stickers or anything just a straight 10 that's 173 damn just clean yeah i mean it, i've it's just the mass on it is like yeah i think i think he had a seven and a half inch um main being or a mass circumference on his on his right side just mass for days <laughs> <laughs> that's nuts how do you know how old he was um uh, i i think he was a five and a half year old our uh neighbor uh different neighbor one of my buddies had him on trail camera earlier in the year and he just he was he was the big one running around the neighborhood and yeah um the farm that 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 I hunt that we have is is a little bit unique in the sense that we typically pull in some of those deer just with the amount of food we have and the lack of pressure. How big is um, your farm? So we have uh, the the main home farm here is about 350 acres, um, but it's really three big valleys, and it's majority of it it's 200 plus acres of uh, of row crop. So. Um, we have that tremendous amount of food and abundance of food and everything early. And then once the crops come down, it's just like, there was nothing on the farm. So I've been hunting it now for, I think this is like the 16th year. Uh, okay. We started putting in food pots about 10 years ago and just to try to hold some deer. And now it's just turned into like this mad science project. <laughs> right. Just constantly experimenting and yeah. So it yeah. sounds like a big chunk of land, but when you actually look at it, uh, how it's laid out with the neighbors and stuff, it actually, it, you're really hunting, like I said, three, three larger valleys. Okay. Yeah. That's roughly, I mean, if you have 200 of pat or 200 of row crop then you're looking at like a hundred and I don't know, 115 or so of woods and like hunt, like real huntable area. Yep. Right. And then you got plots scattered throughout those valleys as I'm hearing it exactly yep yeah okay yeah and we actually behind me all these deer were shot on this farm nice okay yeah, yeah. and if you're listening to this he's got one two three four five six seven and then a bunch of skull mounts on the ground yeah eight nine <laughs> it's, nine it's really been, pretty nice box um been a lot of fun yeah oh man so then when you plant those plots are you planting them? You're planting them down in the valleys. Yeah, it all it all depends. Um, actually, so the best plot we had this year, which which kind of surprised me, we had um, we had about an acre um, little cornfield that that the farmer had turned back into a row crop like probably 10, 15 years ago, and it was it was in a pretty decent area and. I, I knew I needed some food in that side of the farm. And so I talked to the farmer and letting me take that over. And so I planted, I planted like a cover crop on one side, some corn blend, which I wouldn't recommend when you talk about like strategy and what you learn, don't plant <laughs> what deer want to eat behind you, which I knew uh, I just ran out of time and I couldn't get anything in there. And I knew I wanted something in there. We had corn laying over. So, um, and then I hung some tree stands and the winds were wrong. So I ended up getting a hay bale blind and putting that kind of in the corn. And then I planted a, a blend of clover, chicory and alfalfa um, in this spot. And it was good. I planted this last year, two years ago now. And last year it was, it was pretty good. I think we shot a doe out of it. Um, and then this year is where we shot our two six and a half year old deer. Uh, and last year I was hunting and, and this other the third six and a half year old deer that we've had on camera that we've been watching that, that kind of grew up on the farm that we've been passing 
Uh, he's been coming into that. So I think late season, I'll hopefully get a crack at him in there, which would be insane to have three old deer like that out of one blind and, and one food plot. But yeah, kind of like you're saying, it's just kind of trial and error sometimes. You know, you look at the topos and you see like, okay, this is going to be the perfect spot. You know, I know the bedding's here, but seeing how the deer change once you put in food is, is pretty extraordinary as well. Um, you know, you'd be really surprised where, you know, where you're pulling deer from and, and yeah. how, you know, our farm is like an L. And so we have, again, this year we started with three, six and a half year olds and two of them would stay on the West side of the L and one of them would stay in the North and they never crossed. So it's just, yeah. it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of bizarre, but, um, I just feel like food gives you that opportunity to really get that inventory and um, yeah. pattern those a little bit better. How does the, how does row crop influence? Like if it's, if that row crops planted mainly corn or if it's planted mainly soy, how does, or hay, how does that influence? Like, does that influence how you plant and what you plant? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, it, it does in a way, except, you know, they do a lot of rotation around that. Um, but I will, I love to, um, well, I'll just back up a little bit. I think my strategy is pretty similar to like what Jeff Sturgis teaches. And that's, you know, anything over half an acre, you do a blend. So you do like a half and a half. So you do half beans and then you put winter rye in there later in September, maybe two, two things of winter rye. Um, and then the other half is going to be your blend of, um, I'm sorry, the half of it's going to be a late season bean pea oats blend and then you do your winter right late uh the other half is going to be your you know turnips and radishes that sort of uh blend um and then anything less than that's going to be kind of classified as like your kill plot and so that's going to be your clovers and your chicories and your alfalfas and things and so um so i think having that mix now it helps with that rotation whereas before i would try to kind of change with it so i would turn a green plot into beans if it was going to be corn next to it Kind of give them that variety yeah um i think what i found there is that once you give deer too many varieties it's it's really hard to lock them down um and so if you have kind of that same food source in certain air in this on the same farm you know like say this year i have six or seven different food plots anything larger than that half acre is going to be the same anything less than that i'm going to maybe make a little variety change to the clover or the chicory but for the most part it's going to be the same you know, and you're the, trying to kill those yeah. deer in state areas. So the thought behind that is that then the deer, like they're not tempted to go somewhere else for a different food blend. They're like, oh, it's the same over there as, as it is here. Like I'll just eat here. Exactly. Yeah. Predictable. It, yeah. Yeah. You think about it too. Um, in, in this, it didn't really make sense to me. I really didn't believe it at first, but you, you think of it and you're like, well, if a deer you don't want the deer competing for, for anything, right? And so, so let's say you have beans in one plot and then you know, a quarter mile away, you have a turnip blend. Well, typically on like a late season, if it's warm, I wanna hunt greens. And if it's cold, I wanna hunt beans or corn. And so you don't want those deer to be traveling those long distance in the wintertime or, or late season, and then hit that one plot so dang hard that they might you know, destroy it, or, you know, there might be 30 deer in there, and then you're starting to create, like, this tension between the larger, older does, and maybe your younger bucks that you want to retain, that you got from the neighbors, and you want them to stay in your property, and so 
by creating these same exact type of food plots across your property, um, you're creating an environment where these deer aren't traveling, they're not bumping into each other. Um, I feel like the, the, the doe management is a lot better too. And so, you know, I'll try to take out a, a large doe out of each plot if I can. And that just, you know, they, there's a lot of research that goes into, you know, these bigger old does, they do more damage to your property than a, than a larger old buck when it comes to bringing in new deer. And so I just think it kind of levels the playing field. And I found that it's a lot easier to target deer because they might, you know, they like a certain bedding area. They got the same food source right in front of them as they do a half mile away or a quarter mile away. So they'll just keep hitting that food and they got everything they want there. Right. That's and then those, the other, yeah. those other deer that bet on different areas of farm, they have the same thing and they can go back and forth. It kind of to their, to their spot. So it kind of creates like a consistency for you and a predictability so that you can be like, all right, well, this buck likes this area rather than this buck likes this food source at this time of year. Let's try to like maneuver and figure out where the hell he's going to bed based on feeding on that food source and this area. And exactly. This, yeah. Okay. Oh, that I mean, makes a lot of fun. sense. It's fun to do the different plots, right? It's fun to do like a big sugar beet plot like an acre and just be able to visually see that but what happens is at least in my experience what was happening was yeah you'd, you'd get great deer movement between the plots and you I was getting tons of pictures and these deer were all over the farm while well, all of a sudden I'd want to hunt the you know it, it's going to get warm so I want to hunt the green plot and all of a sudden the wind is terrible for that plot so I don't hunt it the deer, you know, I might get lucky and the deer's in that plot. Well, then the next day it's cold. So I want to hunt the beans. The wind's bad. It's like, I'm finding myself not versus, um, you know, being able to pick these different plots. And the interesting thing too, what I mentioned before is I found that if you do that, some of these deer or a lot of the times these bigger, bigger, older bucks, they will, they'll pick a plot that they really like and they'll, they'll hit it quite a bit early. You know, they might run away. I mean, they might, they might venture into some thicker stuff come, you know, mid-October to, to mid-November, but typically it's that early part of the season, a late part of the season where they're going to come back and come to that same plot. Hmm. Yeah. Cause it's where they were early, similar food or like, yeah, their taste buds kind of come back to that green and less browse. Right. So right. that's where food is less food. Do you find like, <clears throat> so in the early season, bedding area is all over the place. You can kind of, deer can kind of bed wherever they want because there's so much vegetation. There's so much cover. There's very little pressure. They can kind of right. just, you know, that's why you find beds in the middle of, you know, tree lines and fields and you find them in CRP all the time and whatnot. But then as late season rolls on and, or as I should say, as season rolls on and late season comes around, vegetation's gone, bedding's a lot more sparse. Do you find that like the bedding areas that they use in this, I guess, do you find that those bedding areas change for those deer and they completely move or do they generally stick around in the same areas they did in the early season or how does that, what do you find? Yeah, no, that's, that's a good question. I think um, on this farm, you know, we have those bigger, larger valleys that come into these ag fields. And so you're exactly right. Like summertime, early season are, our access into these plots are typically are different than they are now. And that's just because of that, the bedding changing. So, you know, when we have those larger cornfields up and the, all the CRP and whatnot next to the, we're finding a lot of beds on the fence rows and along the edges of those fields. And so 
yeah, they're they're definitely going to be in those uh, larger timber areas, um, like you're saying, just because of the lack of, of vegetation. So then, okay, yeah, and I asked kind of my question poorly. Um, so I have this theory. All right. So you can tell me if I'm, if I'm right or wrong. All right. I love ideas. So, (laughs) so when, when the pressure's up, when the vegetation's down, gun season's rolling through, um, and food is, food is low. Yep. There is, there are very, like, there are very confined and constricted resources. So bucks will generally, and deer in general have what I would like to call like prime bedding areas, areas that are thick, regardless of the time of year, right? Mm-hmm. They're always thick. They're certainly thick in the summer and they're, and they're thick enough to bed in, in the winter. So it's yep. like a prime bedding. Whereas you have like satellite bedding areas, which are, yeah, they're pretty good during the summer, but as soon as pressure turns up and people start coming in or whatever, then they, then these deer back off and go to those like prime year over year safe zones, essentially right? As they do on college campuses now at their safe zones. (laughs) Um, So they go there and, uh, and then do you find that like bucks will just, instead of doing all the satellite bedding, they're just like, well, this spot is safe. Why am I ever going to leave it? I would rather just stay here year round and I'll just use this in the summer. Like I will, I will out of the you know, in the late season, I'm going to use this 80% of the time, 90% of the time, this area in the early season, I'll use it 50, 60% of the time, but I'll, I'll still venture off because there might be a food source somewhere else, or I feel like doing something some other day and there's no pressure, but do you find them coming back to that same bedding area year over year? Like, yeah, I, I, yeah, no, it's a good idea. I mean, there's, there's two different thoughts I have there. Um, so one to answer your question, I think with these bigger, larger deer that are like home bodies to the farm, um, we, we definitely see that. I mean, kind of going back to that thought earlier with like, we're finding these, um, these five and a half, six and a half year old deer, um, they are, they might change up when they're hitting the plot, but they're definitely <clears throat> within range or close to the plot where they uh, are certainly to your point, bedding close. And so we're finding that, you know, August, September, early October, they're in those same bedding core areas. And then come again in end of November, early December, and then through end of December, January, they're in those same, same bedding. So I I would agree with you. I think with our home bucks, they definitely do that. Um, I mean, and then with like non home bucks, we have like that 173 that was shot, our neighbor shot it. Um, it, It's pretty incredible. There's a couple of spots in the farm where we just, we stay out of, and it's a bit of a sanctuary. Um, and we have the luxury where we can do that with just one of the spots is you'd be, you'd be amazed. It's right along the highway, but it's thick and it's just this big hillside and it's self-facing. It's just, it's perfect for some good bedding. Long story short, he was in there, neighbor killed him. It wasn't a week and another big deer had moved into that area. And so, um, yeah, I know that's not what you're really asking, but no, I, I no, certainly I, believe that. It, yeah, no, you, ser- answer, you answered it because you said, I mean, the big bucks that you 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 find them in August, September in a specific area, and then they're kind of disappear during the pre-rut and rut. They kind of go wherever they feel like, and then they're back to that area, right. which is where, and that's just, that's just the thought that I had because, you know, on, 
when I was hunting all this public a couple of years ago, and I still hunt it still, um, just not as much, but I was finding like, where, where are my best odds to see a good buck? Right. right. That's, that's what I kept asking myself. And, and I would always, I would have to pass up spots, like walk past good spots to get to the prime spots where like late season, late season, I was like, okay, these deer based on all the tracks I'm seeing in the snow and the beds I'm seeing in the snow, they're bedding in these three areas. Right. Like, so that is like the prime bedding areas. And, and these, all these places are, I don't know, some of them are, you know, are a quarter acre, some are a whole acre, you know, they're just in this general area. So in the early season, if I want to find a good buck, my odds are higher. If I go to those core, those like prime bedding areas, than if I'm hunting, you know, some of these trails that look really good, but might not hold a good buck might maybe, maybe, right. maybe not. I just felt like my odds were higher if I just went back to those prime areas. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, I, I definitely have, not to say your, your thought process is wrong or whatever. I just, um, it's a, and, it can be, it can be wrong, Nick. It's so, well, <laughs> <laughs> well you gotta, I, I think I always have to like, uh, whenever I'm having conversations with friends or whatever, and we're, or they're asking questions about deer, it's always like, I have to preface it by saying like, I, I am fortunate in the fact that the, the farm that we hunt, we've had not only the, the size of it, but we have our restraints from our neighbors baiting and all that other stuff. But um, just the fact that, that I've been able to devote so much time and energy to this farm for so many years that we're starting to really figure out, like if you look on a map or if you come out and walk it with me, you're like, okay, this isn't anything like too crazy. Like we're talking just some field edges and some valleys, but um, you know, when you, when you hunt the same spot for so many years and you bump a, a big deer out of there, you know, five years in a row. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh my gosh, what am I doing? Like, maybe I should put a camera in there. Maybe I should, you know, and then like, that's what I've been doing to kind of hone in on this stuff. And it's just that repetitive, like year after year, what we're finding. And I was the same way and not to say that this is wrong. Cause this could certainly be the thing you want to do on other ground, but like I would go in hard and, you know, try to go in deeper and, and earlier and try to figure out exactly where those deer are, where those core bedding areas are. Um, and now it's just the, the process has been sit back and wait, plant the food and, and try to try to hone in on those deer, um, coming to food sources. And that's to your, to your thought earlier, it's more late season and early season. So, um, so yeah, I, yeah, that was just my two cents there. No, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Um, and I, I would agree if you have the, if you have, if you have private land and you're able to do that that makes total sense. And that's why I'm like, that's why I'm thinking about that a lot more with our piece of private, but the yeah. thought on that prime bedding and all that, that's because when I was hunting all the public. For sure. Yep. Um, the other thing you mentioned there was like, um, that that buck got shot and then there was another buck in there a week later. Yeah. You know, like the, I've heard that before a few times. It's like the King of the castle. Like when, that is the best, the safest, the most thick area that holds whatever you want. And it's, and it's the best spot and the King of the castle holds that. And then when that King dies, a new King takes his place. Right. Cause every deer wants like, man, I would love to have that bedroom. Yep. Uh, and once he, and he keeps them out of there until then, until he dies and then he can't. <laughs> <Obviously>. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then a new one moves in. 
So then based on that, are you kind of thinking about a strategy of like, okay, how can I kind of hunt that area? Or are you still like, no, nah, we'll just, we have food close to that and they'll come out of that and come to that food. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it, it kind of goes back to, and I have to, I have to like tell myself this all the time. I mean, it's, it's so easy to, to want to go in and try to kill that deer, um, you know, knowing that that bedding's there. Um, you know, I have, I've hunted state ground and lots of, lots of state ground and have the, um, have the lone wolf setups and everything. And it would be, you know, I, I really enjoy that going into those areas and sneaking in and, and trying to kill these deer and ambush them. But I, I've, what I found to be more successful is getting a food source closer to those areas that I know those, those bedrooms are that those deer like to be in. And then, um, I mentioned the cutting link system. I, yeah. I installed that earlier this year. Um, and really just sitting back and watching the inventory. Now it takes out some of that, um, that early morning, um, just kind of the lone wolf strategy and, and being silent and getting in there and try to kill a deer in its bed type of thing. But, um, it's, I found it to be wildly more successful, um, getting a food source close and just waiting for them, you know, with those, with those non-local bucks that move in, they're just, they don't know the farm. They don't know, you know, property lines and everything else. And so I try to get those deer to, you know, the least pressure I can. Now, granted, if I, if I'm getting on my camera, you know, two days in a row at three o'clock, like for sure, I'll try to get close and kill them. But for the most time, it's pretty sporadic movement. And um, they're just trying to figure out where the does are and whatnot. And, and you got to remember too, some of these smaller green plots, you know, we're, we're getting those does to come in there, even through rut, you know, they might slow down a little bit, but um, they're still coming in there at some point. And so we're just hoping that that buck sticks around and then we can pattern them at some, in some way, or we're sitting on, on food during the rut and he, he comes in there either looking for a doe or scent checking our water that we have, or just coming in for a little bite. Gotcha. So then back to like this, this whole, this is like a, I don't know, maybe a 35 minute tangent here. You yeah. passed up a couple bucks earlier for the, the hope of late season. So what is, right. what was it, what was it about late season that you were like, well, I think I'm going to do better in this later time frame. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it was, I was thinking I was going to do better. Um, I just thought that I really wanted to see what the farm could produce late season. Um, and I really wanted to devote some serious time to that, that late season. Like I said, we, we put in so much food for, for late season and, and we have a, I wouldn't say an obnoxious level of food, but we have a lot of food out there for the deer. And so um, I typically will, will try not to be on the property much at all come, you know, after gun season um, or even really during gun season, if, you know, with that, but so with this late season, it's just, um, I'm just interested to see what it produces. We always pick up a few, you know, neighbor bucks that typically come around. I might find the shed and then they, they, they typically leave. Um, you know, some of the larger deer we're able to retain, but again, it kind of goes back to what the herd is like on the property. And for, for the last two years, we've had these bucks that we shot this year that were kind of big, mean, and, and they were kind of kicking everything out. And so, now that we've taken these two six and a half year olds out of here earlier this year, I just thought this farm could, could pull in a potential, you know, large deer and hold oh, them with yeah. our food. Um, so kind of a long answer, but I think that's, that's kind of my thought process is really 
really just let this farm produce what it's going to produce and um, try to take out these larger older deer early and see what it can do. Yeah. And that's kind of to my thought right now. So I sat, so muzzle loader was this last weekend ended in Wisconsin. So it's nine day gun season and then it's a, a week long muzzle loader. And then there's another holiday doe hunt that we have coming up. Um, yep. And then I think there's, there's a doe hunt and then also a holiday hunt. So I think there's holiday one. hunt. Yep. Yeah. Is it just one? I, I can't even. Well, in our zone, there's, there's the, the, the early season doe hunt after muzzleloader and then another holiday hunt. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think there's two more hunts yet. Gun hunts. Yep. And then you have the full month. I, I have until January 31st as well. Okay. So, you know, sitting this, this last weekend on Saturday, all pretty much all day. Um, I didn't see a single deer, my trail cameras. I checked almost all my, I checked six of the cameras. I, I didn't get to two of them. Um, and they had very, very little daylight movement and no good. None of the good bucks were on there. I didn't see right. actually one, one had a good eight point that I'm trying to kill. He's not, he's not a big deer by any yeah. means, but he is a, uh, he's an old deer. He's a real nice, solid, thick eight point, um, just very clean. And I think he's kind of running the show against there's a couple other bucks that are actually there's one other 10 point that's probably in that one maybe 140 range but he's he's short and thick so i think those two are the ones that like butt heads and fight really well against each other and they yeah. run the show um so i got him a couple times but no one in daylight but right before gun season i haven't got him since gun season um so I'm thinking in along those same lines is I'm just going to, I like to hunt yet. So I'll hunt the public around my house, but I think I'm just going to leave yeah. that property until after like new year and just not hunt it at all. And just let those deer, we don't have the food, but we do have the bedding. So mm -hmm. just let them come in, feel comfortable there, not have any issues living there. And then last year I left the camera out. I just forgot it. I didn't even totally forgot that I even had it there. And yeah. every three to four days, I was having four or five bucks come through a very specific travel route going to food. And it was just like a buck parade. It was just one after the other. Yep. And they were all in like the 120 to 140 range. So I'm hoping yep. that if that's that trend happens again, I can get in there and just hunt that, you know, and hopefully get a little lucky there and have them come through again. It's funny know. you say that I did that same thing a while ago, uh, forgot, forgot a trail camera for like two years and you know, it was an older one and it was one that we we're having problems with. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to put on the scrape and same exact thing found that even into like starting in, in early January through like mid February, once it started dropping, it was like a buck parade, like every, every day or two. Um, and so that's really ultimately what kind of lit the the fuse here on on this late season was um, I I, I love the I the I love the idea of patterning deer and being able to like putting everything in your favor with these older mature deer and like majority of the deer that are behind me I've shot early season when you can pattern them um, and so the late season ideas I mean it just makes sense if you put the work in early you get the food in the ground and you don't pressure these deer it it just it's a recipe for success when when it when it gets to late season yeah um and that's yeah so i'm i'm hoping for the same man <laughs> <laughs> um so then 
are you doing any any like manipulation for bedding areas at all? Are you doing are you building bedding areas to to be closer to that food source or further from that food source or anything like that? Yeah, that's that's honestly the the question that goes around in my mind like every single day. Um, is kind of what else can you do to property? And I think there's so much buzz around. I shouldn't call it the industry, but there's so much there's so much talk around that, right? Like um it and i think certain properties definitely need it and i think my property needs it as well it's just how do i successfully do that and how do i do it when i mean there's there's guys out there that can do it way better than i can and and just knowing how to like hinge cutting for example um so to answer your question yes i've i've done some um i've but i've gotten a little bit more strategic around where i put my food um like we had a big storm come in, big straight line wind storm come in a couple of years ago. And um, I've moved some food close to that. And that's been, that's just been deadly. So I know it works. Um, and I've done some hinge cutting and I've done some of that, but not to the, not to the extreme is like what probably somebody would classify as like a successful hinge cutting where they're doing like the <laughs> small pockets and then cutting every, all the other softwoods out and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it's definitely late season. In my opinion, you absolutely need the bedding. Like we have some good food sources that aren't that close to, to the food or bedding that's not really close to food. And it's just not, it just doesn't really work out. Um, okay. So it's gotta be close, closer to that food. In my opinion or on the, yeah, what I found to be successful. Absolutely. Like last night I sat on a, a, a small green plot um, close to some heavy bedding and had like, yeah, had a lot of action. Coming. but it was right at right at dark so a lot of a lot of evening hunts um are going to be way better than your than your typical morning hunts unless you have big front coming in you know the middle of the night type of thing gotcha and that brings up a good point so then in the late season you mentioned this earlier um like are you i mean you have the cutty link system so it kind of tells you it tells you when deer like as i understand it it's it's like a wireless system they all link together and then they'll send you photos yep and do they send them, do you have it set up? So it sends you them like in real time, like, Oh, there's a buck there right now. You know, I had to, I had to take like one step away from that, you know, cause otherwise I would probably be divorced if I did that. But, um, <laughs> I just have a, so I have a home device and it's just like, a, it's, it's like a camera, except it doesn't take pictures. And I have it on a, um, like on a, a fence post or like a telephone pole that we have behind our house. Um, and then that links to, I think I have, I think I have 12 cameras out right now. And so those cameras then feed images to that home device. So I can just walk out the back door, grab the card out of that home device and have all, all the pictures. Gotcha. Now it does take some time to transfer it, but for the most part, um, it's, it's pretty real in, in real time. I mean, as far as when I pull it. Um, but I will say without a doubt, um, that has been the uh, best tool that I've, I've purchased uh i i mean i can't really compare it to anything i mean unless you give me a gun that can like shoot through trees and like heat seeking bullets like it's <laughs> it is absolutely it's been a it's been a game changer like i said i mean there's we started the year with three six and a half year old deers on the uh, bucks on the farm that we we're after and we were able to kill two of them on our first sits going in for them um and that was I mean, it was somewhat with the food and the bedding, but it was mostly due to the cutty back because we were able to go in and see exactly where they were. You know, these spots are, we can take pictures without disrupting the area. Right. Uh, it's, it's, 
incredible. I can't say enough good things about them. Huh. Um, so then with that, with that Cuddy link system, I'm sure over the last 16 years, was it a lot of playing around with, okay, here's the food source, but where do we put the camera? Like, where does the camera go on this? You're hitting all the good ones. I, I literally was up last night, like until midnight. Cause there's this other, I don't know if I mentioned this. So there's a, well, the third six and a half year old deer, I'm trying to kill him, which would be, if we could kill him, like it would be for us, that is a huge deal. I mean, these deer aren't like one sixties. Um, the first deer, like they're the first two were like in the one thirties, like they were big and then they just are on the down, you know, decline. This last one's kind of a half rack, non-typical goofy deer not going to score well, but he's still a six and a half year old deer. Like to us, that's, that's huge. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, last night I was just literally pacing, like trying to figure out, okay, he's coming in here on this food source. How many, how many cameras can I possibly put on a, on a third of an acre of food to see where he's coming and where he's going? Like, that's all I think about is how to, you know, if you can, if you can move those cameras around on food and find where they're coming and going. That's, that's really the key, right? Like, I don't really care how long you're there for or anything like that. I just want to know either where they're coming or where they're going. And so, yeah, to your question, like that is, that's been the most difficult part about food sources is where to put the camera. So then do you, uh, I mean, do you find that deer like bucks over years use the same entrance and exit trails or is every buck different or are does and bucks different? Yeah, I've done a little bit of manipulation around um, around how they access. So like I'll knock a tree down if I don't want them to come on a certain trail, like I'll just chainsaw a tree down and then I'll go in with like Roundup and I'll spray all the vegetation out on, on, a, on a hillside or like on a trail that I want them to use. And like I found success with that. And so then oh, I'll put yeah, the, so closing off there. trails and then opening up new, like the ones that you want them to use exactly yep or like mid-season this year i had a bunch of deer that were staying like a little bit out of range of the camera i just came in there and knocked down a couple of branches and then the deer had to like walk around the branches and that's that seemed to work pretty well um so yeah i i don't know if that answered your question but it does, uh, yeah no yeah. It, do, it does um well i guess i guess do you think like in like a third acre you know our our year over year over year are bucks like do you see like wow big bucks almost always enter from the northeast corner whereas does enter from the west side yeah that's so we yeah so i did miss that question so yeah we we definitely talk about that and look at that like every year i think the interesting thing is when you when you put a new food plot in it's always it's always fun to watch and see where these deer come from and where they go like it's kind of to your point about like the the power line food plot like it's it's always we found to be different than what we kind of go into i mean we can knock down trees and we can round up ready trails and stuff like that but unless you actually hunt them and sit on them you really can see where they're coming and going so yeah once these once these plots are established what what we're finding is if you can take out some of these older does and allow these younger bucks to come in and kind of call it at home um and get comfortable like you'll see those same bucks use those same trails um and even new bucks, they'll they'll use those same trails. Um, and I think it, it goes, we try to do some manipulation around like mock scrapes. So we'll put some mock scrapes like close to some heavy trails that they're coming in. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, and then it's then it's honing in on certain type of winds and how they're approaching on certain winds. But yeah, for sure, it's definitely using the same same trails. So that is that is my next that was that's my next question that I was going to ask about the wind, um, and that's always a fun one because like there's this thought of bucks always old bucks always walk into the wind. So a friend of mine, <laughs> what's that? I said false. Right? Yeah. yeah. So that's something that's a huge rumor that I've, uh, that I've, that I like, you know, all the old timers say that and not, yeah. I shouldn't say old timers, but you know, all of my old, older hunting mentors that are in there, you know, sixties and seventies. Now we're always like, if he comes out of the spot, he's always running into the wind. And um, yeah. if he leaves the spot, he's going to go into the wind. And then Parker, a friend of mine was like, dude, I check, I kept trail camera data data. All my bucks over four and a half years old. I was, he was like, I would say about 90% of them walked with the wind when I'd get them yeah. on camera. <laughs> so, yeah. So talk, like, talk about how they, does the wind, how the wind affects them entering plots and whatnot. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, there's a, yeah, sir, you're exactly right. There's so, so many guys that like swear by a certain rule that they have and, you know, then thermals and all that. And, and I, those guys could be certainly right. And maybe on their farms are finding that, but I'm, I'm more in line with what your friend said. And that's kind of that sporadic, um, sir, you know, I'll, I'll go back like a couple of years ago, there was a buck that was, um, he was for me as a giant, like mid one fifties, low one sixties. And I kept every single trail camera picture and I would write down the, the pressure, the wind, how he was approaching. I had like three cameras on this one plot and he was using it like crazy. And I found it to be, although he's using the same trail, he, the wind had nothing to do with his movement. Pressure had nothing to do with his movement. And I think, um, again, I'm talking like earlier season and late season. I'm not talking like during your, your prime time, right. late October, but, um, I think that probably was due to the fact that he was comfortable with the food, that we weren't bumping him at night, that we were really careful about how we were accessing this plot. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't, I can't tell you how many times it's like, well, we're probably not going to see a mature buck because the wind's blowing right into his bedding or something, you know, and all, or right away from his bedding. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, it's like, boom, there he is. It's like, that makes no sense. Like, why is he walking into a field that he doesn't know, you know, no idea what's in there so yeah 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 and part and parker's thought was like man if you think about it like they have their eyes and their ears to protect them going forward yep and if the wind's at their back they'll smell anything trying to creep up on them yeah so it's a, that's, that's a good thought that's his thought he's like well you know if, if there's a you know if you're a fawn and you got a bobcat or I mean, and we're in Wisconsin, it's pretty rare, but you got a mountain lion or a wolf or, you know, yeah. coyotes coming up, they're generally going to be coming up from behind you, not square on in your face. True. Right? So then that wind will help them. That was, that's what his thought was. But uh, again, it could just be the buck going, Oh, I feel like feeding over here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, yeah. I think Susie was over there and she might pop early <laughs> this year. So I'll, I'll go check her out, you know? Like, you know, who knows? I, yeah, I, I think at some, sometimes people overanalyze that and, and, and think the deer are a hell of a lot smarter than they are. And then other times I think there people think they're a lot dumber than they are. <laughs> and I think it's, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. <laughs> in the sense of <laughs> myself. Yeah. yeah. Dude, I, I agree. I think 
I think deer are a lot like humans. Like some are a hell of a lot more intelligent and bent on survival than others. Yep. For instance, I have mice in my garage right now. There is one that it took. He cleaned my traps four times of peanut butter and I finally got them last night. <laughs> I got the other ones instantly. Yeah. I got, I got a couple of them right away and I'm like, and there, now there's one that's just cleaning me off. So he was smart. Yeah. To, to, to give you the lowdown on that is I, I put the peanut butter on the spring and on where the, uh, the, the little, I don't know, the little, uh, the tray, the tray. Yeah. I didn't yeah. put it on the actual part where they're supposed to push down. I put it right on the trigger. I put the, the okay. peanut butter on the trigger and on the spring. So you'd have to like kind of crawl up there to get it. And I got them. <laughs> you need to apply that same tactic to your eight pointer on the home farm there. <laughs> right. Dude. I have no idea where I have no idea where that buck is living though. He is, he is very, so it seems like I have deer on the West side of the farm that stay on. Yep. The, I have two bucks on the West side that I only get photos of on the West side. I get, and this year I haven't done a lot on the East side, but I have a really nice nine point on the East side of the farm and that yep. eight point on the East side. But that eight point also, I've got him on a scrape on the West side, but only at like 2 AM both times. Okay. Other than that, I've never got pictures of him over on that West side. And there's an 11 point running around that I only got pictures of on the West side. And once he dropped velvet, I've never got a picture of him again. Well, that's what I'm assuming happened because all of a sudden he wasn't, he wasn't showing up and it was, you know, early September. He was just like gone. So, and then there's another. It's funny how that happens. Isn't yeah. that how they, how they just certainly, and it kind of goes back to your point about like the core bedding and everything, but yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with yeah. how that happens. There's another. So I have like a, a narrower a point, which is narrow. He's, he's just over the ears. And that's the older one. And then I got a wide eight that's like three to four inches beyond each ear. And he is, I would get him in the central part of the farm and then the west side. And that's it. I haven't, and I've, and I haven't gotten a daylight photo of him since early October. Um, How old are these deer, you think? I have no, honestly, I don't, I don't know because yeah. I've only been here two years, but. Um, the narrow eight point, I think he's on the decline. I think he's, I had a buck last year that was very similar to him. Um, a real tall, same width, eight point, really thick. Yep. And he lost half his rack in early October. And then I never got another photo of him again after that early October. So I think this is him coming back and he's a little bit smaller this year. So either he was injured last year or he's like on the decline and he's, seven and a half, maybe eight and a half. Right. Um, but the wide eight, I think he is based on the body. I think he's like three and a half, maybe four and a half. Cause he's not, he's thin. He's really thin. He's wide and thin. So um, uh, yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'll tell you, like, I will always have these, like, I'm not the best judge of deer um, age class, because I've never really been able to, uh, have a property where I'm learning the deer year over year over year. Like right. on, on public, it seems like the deer are different every year that are there. Um, so this year on one of the mocks, I've had a camera on a mock scrape since early October. 
And it's been pretty cool to see the different bucks come through there and have them stand in the exact same spot and be able to look at their pictures side by side and be like, holy cow, this deer is like 60 pounds heavier than that deer. You know, just like, okay, this one is clearly older and bigger. And that's like that 10 point, that's 140 inches or so. He is by far the largest deer out of all the deer because they all stand in the same spot to hit this scrape. And he takes up far more of the camera than the rest of them. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, the, the, the Northeast side of our property is, is this bottom well, it goes up to a hill, but it all kind of comes, it's, it's, we own the hillside. We do not own the top, which is ag. So we own yep. the hillside and then, um, in the hills and it all comes, there's like a big rocky outcropping point. So it's kind of like a bowl and they all have to come around the front of this bowl, which is like a really nice pinch. Um, there's yep. a Creek and then there's a pit that point right there. And it all comes to, I don't know. I think from the Creek to that point is about 50 yards, maybe. So they kind of come around that they can go up and over it. It's just, it's not as convenient for them. Um, and it's, it's right. They kind of have to go through rocks, but I've seen their tracks up there. So they do it. Um, but the bottom by that pinch and coming out of that pinch and instead of going up into the bowl, they generally go down into the Valley at that point. And there's five scrapes in a row all within like, I think 10 yards apart. They're just like, boom, 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 right out that trail. And um, last year it was only one scrape in there. And I think that's cause that was, that's where that big non-typical group was hanging out and yep. the big eight, it was just those two bucks. And they were the only two really in there except for a couple, you know, one and a half year old scrubs in there messing around, but no other like mid-sized buck like seemed to dare enter that area. Um, and now this year there's a bunch of scrapes in there and I never had a camera in there at all. So I dropped one during gun season, um, back in there and it's, I'm just letting that thing sit for, I don't know, probably till January. Be interesting now that that big old non-typical is out of there, what, you know, what moves in. Yeah. And that is also the side of the farm. So it's probably, I don't know, another 200 yards, two to 300 yards. And then you're actually starting public. So, oh, right. so it's a, so I think you get a lot of push out of that during gun season. So I'm interested to see the the trail camera. Um, and I always hunt, I've hunted that the last two years on opening morning. And it's funny because I have last year it happened too, is I have doe groups come out of it. So it's, it's our property, then it's the neighbors and then it's uh, and then it's the public. Yeah. And I've had doe groups both years opening morning come to the fence hop the fence, mill around the fence, kind of like, do I want to go into my property or do I want to go back where I came from? And they always go back where they came from. Huh. Um, And they go down and they're always up on the hillside when they come in and then they end up going back east into the property, but down lower. They go down and it's really thick stuff. And I talked to my neighbor and he's, he's a, he's an opening day gun hunter and that's it. Like, he doesn't bow hunt or anything. He's super, he's, he's an awesome dude. He's his name's Sid. He's just, I caught him in his Jeep driving into our bottom on a four wheel trail with my trail camera and had a canoe on the top. Like he's, <laughs> we give him we give him rights to drive through our property and whatnot. Cause our property connects to his through a gate. Yeah. So, so he will just like drive around and I've caught him down in the bottom one time. And 
I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but but the man's never without a, a case of Budweiser. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I, I feel like when he's having a good time, he just drives into our property and goes and checks shit out and comes back around. Sounds kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Uh, anyway, when um, he was down in there, or so he never hunts, he rarely hunts his property. So I feel like that's why they like that area. It's just sure. it's so thick, very, very little pressure, hardly any ever pressure in there. Hunting pressure. He does go down in there and log a lot and he cuts trees down and he does have cows in there. But yep. I, I, I still feel that that doesn't really matter when there's absolutely like no human pressure in this, you know, 20, 30 acre parcel. Yeah, that the whole pressure piece is, and it kind of goes back. I mean, it, it's a, obviously it's a bigger discussion too about like state and like, state and private ground, but people don't realize like how much private ground typically gets hit so much harder than state ground or open ground, you know? Yeah. I know you and I have talked about that that before. Yeah. There are certainly pockets of public that just don't really get hit. Right. Um, And some people just look at public and go, "Ah, it's public. I don't want to go. Like, I don't know what other yahoos are out there with a gun. Like I'm, I'm not interested. Um, and, and the other thing that I find is that on gun season, there are, you know, probably 70% of the people don't leave the main like four wheel trails or whatever that cut through the property. They, they walk 10 to 20 yards off that. And that's where they're hanging out. Right. You know, um, otherwise there's, there's a few people that'll get pretty deep and get back in there, but a lot of it's just sticking around, you know, they're lazier hunters or whatever you want to call it. I'll go give it a yeah, shot and I'll be at the bar by noon. <laughs> yeah, you go out West and it's like, it's a, it's like, it's, it's inverted. Like everybody's hunting, you know, your success is on the, on the federal BMI, you know, whatever BML. And then your, your, you know, your private ground, you typically have some success, but you need so much ground versus I feel like in the Midwest, it's like so many guys feel like you want the private ground and not the public, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. And that, yep. And it varies by where you hunt, how big you hunt. I mean, how big the parcels are around you. I was talking to one guy the other day and he's like, well, we have a ton of 40 acre parcels, all different landowners, all have yep. different management practices. So it's hard to like keep bucks, you know, cause yep. like if they cross two property lines, that guy don't give a damn and he shoots brownets down. Right. Right. So yeah, that's, I, there's so many things that go into it, but I, I do, wholeheartedly agree that pressure is pressure is is key and the lack of it for holding holding deer and you, you try to set up and you mentioned this earlier which is you try to set up your entry and exit routes to really like make it seem like there's no pressure there right and yep. be like a ghost and kind of sneak in and sneak out and have them never know um when you're hunting your plots like any time of the year are you pretty much like say you're, you're set up on a plot and you have it set up for a South wind. Yep. And that buck is only coming in there when it's a North wind and you're like, God, I can't hunt it. Do you just let that buck be like, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, you know, that story I told earlier about that, that 173 inch 10. Um, I think he was in daylight hours. Um, I think it was, I think I counted eight different times. He was, he was in daylight hours. Um, but this, this one spot that I, that I like to hunt, he, um, I really need a, a north wind. 
And so I'm thinking like, okay, coming into November, he showed up like mid-October. So early November, I'm like, okay, this is going to be killer. Like we should be getting some cold temps. I should be able to sneak in there and sneak out. Well, I was getting like Southeast winds and Southwest winds and it just blew right this into year. His... Yeah. Yeah, dude. All so, South winds, like dude, every weekend for four weeks or whatever was South. Wind. Yeah. It was brutal. And so, um, yeah, like I curse South winds for like, my wife is so sick of hearing about winds, but, um, <laughs> yeah. And so to your, to your question, like it was the hardest thing ever not to go in there and try to kill this deer, you know, cause I'm, I, I've been using the Ozonics here for a couple of years. And like, that's another thing. Like I, I swear by that thing. And so, uh, but it, you can't, obviously I don't run it walking in and walking out and you're leaving, you know, all that. So, um, yeah, it's really tough. I probably, if I would have known what I know now, I probably would have tried to go in there and kill him just knowing that the neighbor shot him. But yeah, I just know I try to stick to the same routine, no matter the deer, no matter the situation, just every time. And it seems to work out overall. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty certain if that neighbor went to shot him, I would have would have at least probably had a shot at him at some point just knowing yeah. you know the setup of the farm and you know not to sound cocky or anything like that I just there was so much food in this area there's such good bedding there's a lot of does that time of the year I just there's no other water sources within like a mile we had a nice pond in there so like he was coming in there to drink it was the temps were warm so there's a lot of factors there and I just weighed everything out and I just thought no I can't I can't push this you right. know, with the wind have you had that happen before? I think that's a question a lot of people come across is, God, do I go in there and try to make it work? Because if I don't, the possibility of the neighbor killing them is always there. So it kind of pushes yeah. people to quote unquote, make mistakes Yep. Um, on hunting those deer. But at the same time, it's always the question of, well, would I have bumped them and kicked them to the neighbor anyway? Yeah. And that's like the it's the question that probably keeps a lot of guys up at night. Like <laughs> I think it's unique in the fact that like now with the camera systems and the food and just knowing the farm, like it's so hard now, probably more than before to like, once I get a big deer on camera, you get so much Intel on them. with that many cameras and the food, they typically stick around. Like you really get to know this deer pretty quickly. And it's so hard not to just go in there and try to kill them. Um, but like the success we had, two six and a half year olds killed on the first day we go in there to shoot them. Like that's, that's crazy. Like, I don't know if we'll ever be able to do that ever again, but like um, it's, and that was because we waited and we, we, we waited for the right winds. We waited for, you know, the right access and everything. And so um, there's a lot that goes into it, but yeah, I think that's, that's so hard to know when to, when to try to like actually make something happen versus when to sit back and, and wait, you know, it's, you go into the time of the year, you go into a lot of different factors. At least that's what we do. Um, yeah. Didn't work a big one, but. <laughs> didn't work this year. Well, hopefully that's <laughs> not a trend. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise you're going to need to figure out how to cut trees on the property lines there to make sure he doesn't go. Oh. <laughs> uh, it's, just, heard... it's so funny. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna, I was just going to say, I've heard rumors that, that, that people will certainly do that as just like, if I know my neighbor has a tree stand over here and he is a total dick, I'm cutting this tree down so that this trail is now cut off and they are moving over this way. <laughs> you know, I could tell you so many stories of like industry people 
like personalities and TV guys and gals that have done such shady things that get on the fence lines of people. Yeah. Like it's just, it's remarkable what certain people do. But at the end of the day, you can't own all the ground. And, you know, it's just like, you, you think about like, it was, it was a moment of like probably 30 seconds of like, I would say like pretty upset slash rage slash like, you know, focus all my time on this one deer, all the food plots, all that time away from family, all that just to try to shoot a big caliber deer like this 173. And then the neighbor kills him. He's got a 14 acres, got a little food plot. All the, you know, there's all, there's all these thoughts that go in my head. Yeah, and then I'm yeah. thinking to myself, like, what do I have so much to be thankful for? How many times have I, has he been on probably the receiving end where he's had a trail camera picture of a deer that I've shot, you know? So it's just, right. it goes both ways. And, got to be happy for people that shoot big deer you know our numbers obviously are not doing well in the hunting world so we got to promote that and and a 173 like that's a once in a lifetime for i, I don't care who you are that's a giant yeah. deer you know mm -hmm. yeah no but, i have a i have a friend so a friend of a friend knows um a football an nfl player that owns land in wisconsin and he has like 900 acres or something like that Yep. And he's been buying up surrounding property. And there's one dude who's got a 40 almost like smack dab in the middle of his 900. And he's like, no, I'm not selling this at all. Yeah. Whatsoever. <laughs> he's like, you can offer me as much money as you want. Like all these giant deer that you're farming are coming right through my property. It's been in my property yep. for years or my family for years. And I, I, I'm holding on to it. You know, just know Absolutely. that like one one, one of your bucks a year, hopefully will die by my hand. And that's it. So, you know, that's it. on 900 acres, you probably have, you know, 10, 15 bucks in that 140 class or greater. Yep. I'll take one. <laughs> so, I can't tell on. you how many big deer get shot where we're at in Western Wisconsin on five to 15 acres. You know, it's, yeah. I've often thought about like, I need to, I need to start buying some properties and like converting them over. Cause like, if you, if you know anything about food plots and can put in a pond, can put in like, can do any type of cutting when it gets, you know, in, in creating some bedding, like that's all you really need on some of these properties around us. And like you, you can certainly pick off your neighbor's deer and <laughs> it's just so fun. Yeah. I think I actually know who you're, was the, is the, is the football player a Viking football player? Mm, Minnesota Vikings? No, no. Okay, never mind. A different player. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm thinking of a guy down in Buffalo County, but. Okay, no, I'm mind. thinking of a guy down in uh, Crawford. Okay. So. That's anyway. awesome. Can you imagine holding on to that 40 and yeah, your neighbor owns the yeah. house. And, yeah. But I think that's a great point is, is another thing a par uh, a Parker and I talk about often is like, if we were to buy land or lease yep. land, I would rather lease three 40 acre parcels that are in different areas than yep. one 120 acre parcel, just because your, your odds of like grabbing deer or different deer are greater. Totally. Yeah. Like it, in my opinion, it takes years to like get deer used to food, knowing how to access the plots, you know, there's just so much that we've been fortunate, you know, in able to, to, to recover all this type of information and be able to like dissect it and study it and everything that that we're able to have the success that we've been able to have but 
yeah, if you're just going to go out and try to get some food out and try to learn some ground, like I, I'm with you 100%, like get a couple of 20s even and yeah. put a little food in there, get some mock scrapes, put a little pond in, get some cameras and you're yeah. off to the races. Yeah. <laughs> See what shows up. Yeah. Wait for yeah. the rut. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, hey, Nick, do you want people to find you and reach out to you or no? Um, you know, I, um, I'm happy to answer any questions or, uh, I mean, anything that I can help, like, I think you and I share the same, same thought is that whatever we can do to grow hunting, the, the better. And so whether that's, um, just somebody has a question on how I'm doing a certain food plot, or, I mean, again, that's really where I put most of my time. So I'm happy to, to answer any questions. Um, I am off of all social media now. I was going to say, I was looking for you earlier and I was like, I swear I used to, I used to see them on socials. Oh, it just became a, yeah, a long dark road of me being sad about other people shooting a big deer and yeah, all that stuff. But I've turned off all notifications. Um, after watching the social dilemma, have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I turned off all, yeah, I turned off all my notifications um, except for my Snapchat, just cause those are friends, but, um, it has been amazing how much more productive my work day is yeah. just like, <laughs> I don't even look at my phone until like the end of the, you know, until eight o'clock at night. And I'm like, oh, wow. I have all these like DMS and all this like stuff happen. Like, okay, yeah. whatever. Like it didn't kill me that I didn't get it right away. Right. Oh, it's crazy. Like I got off of all that. And then I was only on it for hunting like to see, you know, you know, buddies of mine and stuff like yourself and other people that I don't, you know, necessarily talk to every week, but want to see their, their deer and whatnot. And so I got off all that. And now it's like, you know, obviously I joined DeerCast and, and all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, DeerCast is like Instagram for hunters now, you know, it's just like, I find myself going through there. So I'm trying to separate that, but yeah, to answer your question, like, I don't know if anybody ever does have any questions or want to connect, um, I mean, we could share my email too, if that's something anybody would want to email. It's yeah. up to, it's up to you, Nick. Yeah, it's just last name, first name, 87. So swansonick87 at gmail.com. All right, there you go. All right, so if you guys want to reach out to Nick, ask about food plots, hear his thoughts or anything like that, hit him up on hit him up on his email. And then also um, we're going to wrap this podcast up. If you guys enjoyed it, please rate and re- leave a review. Just helps people kind of find it a little bit easier. You found it informative, educational. I know there's a lot of different hunting podcasts out there. I'm trying to make mine the most like, entertaining yet educational podcast there is like that's where that's where i'm at and i and i know a lot of people a lot of other people have educational ones or just entertaining trying to do a healthy a healthy mix i wish i was funnier that's like one of the things in life i wish i I was hilarious (laughs) oh man all right well thank you nick i I appreciate that i I know it's i know it's not true um so my wife tells me i am not funny multiple times a day she's like that's not funny that's not funny (laughs) oh it happens i'm like come on oh man the other day i was so pissed like i made a couple good jokes she didn't laugh and then the like some dude on tv made the dumbest joke joke and she was like haha i was like are you serious right now that makes you you laugh (laughs) that makes you laugh my joke was 10 times better than that but uh but yeah in all seriousness though i mean i've been you and i've been friends for a long time and i can i can definitely tell you're one of the one of the good guys out there in this you know hunting world and you definitely are trying to make it a, a better sport and more inviting to people so uh, thank on you. behalf of all the new hunters i, I do thank <laughs> you for that yeah no for sure and we you know we met very randomly um 
through work. I mean, I was like, I was trying to sell a job and you were like, Hey, I'm this new guy. I'm trying to sell a job too. Let's try to sell this job together. And it's like, all right, let's go. They brought me along. Cause they told me you're a hunter. I'm like, great. This would be awesome. <laughs> great, Let's do this. <laughs> uh, awesome. all right, well, thanks everybody for joining and uh, we'll catch you next time.